This is HOSA. A podcast that explores the people who make and have made San Antonio what it is today. We're your hosts, Alfredo de la Garza and Tanner Freeman. San Antonio is beautiful and unique. It's filled with entrepreneurs, creatives, musicians, and artists. And funny enough, our next guest is all of those things. Daniel Saldivar is the founder and creative director of White Rhino VFX, which specializes in delivering visual effects tailored for music videos and commercials. But Daniel's success didn't happen overnight. Actually, it mainly sprouted from a phone call to a wrong number. Since then, Daniel has worked in directing, editorial, visual effects, and creative design. His work has been featured pretty much anywhere you can think of, including on a music video for a particular hip-hop artist whose video has received over 28 million views. Daniel, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me. So a lot of people don't know what VFX is. And, and to be honest, and I work in post-production when I describe VFX, I don't do a good job, right? Because it's kind of a broad thing, right? So what is VFX? So vi visual effects, what is visual effects? Um, I would describe visual effects basically as Photoshop on steroids. So basically like you can go, you can do a deep dive and do hardcore CG, VFX, you know, Transformers-esque, or you can do kind of the, the top end stuff where it's gonna be Photoshop on steroids, which is gonna be like beauty work, clean up, you know, whitening the teeth, removing the wrinkles, that kind of stuff. And then you can do simple, like everyone knows green screen stuff because of the weatherman or, or blue right. screen stuff. And now it's like, it's on every production. What got you started in VFX? Yeah, so I probably have to start kind of like at the beginning. I started like writing, directing in middle school. So I started doing a lot of films there, writing stuff. And I've always been a storyteller. So I remember my parents bought me the Handycam, the little, the little tape. Uh, eight millimeter handy cam and got started doing that and then won a bunch of awards in like high school once they started getting better and like every year was another award and another award and another award and then finally graduating it was like okay what do we do now it was like where is the need where can people do stuff and at the time it's like this was incomprehensible to me to be making movies here in town and so i was like well what can we do so one of our friends who we had as an actress, her mom hired us to come in and do some corporate video stuff. And after a while doing that, somebody else gave us a call and he's like, hey, I got a, I got a film. I need somebody who knows After Effects. And at the time I was like, I really wasn't dabbling with it too much. And I started just very opening it up, very basic paint, like super, super simple stuff. So it was kind of a pivot from directing Absolutely, and yeah, producing. Yeah. Oh, 2010 is when like DSLR came out and everyone had cameras on the gliders and they had them on, right. on the small cranes and I was like man the production value I can't I can't compete with this right and so I was like all right I'm gonna pull back so I, everyone needed motion graphics everyone needed titles for their videos so I was like let me start learning this and obviously video copilot is like a huge thing and so Andrew Kramer and and video copilot have just been like instrumental in setting the foundation and teaching the ropes and after that getting in and doing it and doing it. So making that pivot to say like, hey, I'm not that great behind a camera. Let me get behind the computer. So you started off as director slash producer. You were kind of asked to jump into a role of After Effects, right? And you were mostly doing just corporate videos Absolutely. or yeah. short films and stuff like that. How did that grow into White Rhino? 
Yeah, so we were doing a lot of freelance stuff just as myself. And then uh, I was working at UTSA at the time and going to school. And um, Were you going to school for? Yeah, I, I think that the degree was technical communications because oh. that's like the closest <laughs> thing that they had. Sure. I actually got accepted into the Vancouver Film School for their 3D program. So I was selected out of a class of 30 out of like 800 submissions or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, it's awesome. And then the recession hit. So for me, like, I feel like I'm 100% a product of the recession. Yeah. Because at that point, people I knew had master's degrees and they couldn't get a job. And that they were working like basic retail after working like right. hardcore corporate stuff. Right. And for me as a young person, 21, 20, somewhere in there, hearing and seeing that, why am I going to try to put myself into all this debt to go into school when here's the person who has the degree, highly respectable, and because the, the the economy just dropped right right and so for me it was a, it was a point of pivoting and saying like okay i'm not going to do that let me focus on that and so i talked to my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife and i was like what do you think about me kind of going full-time and and really pushing for this and she's like well i mean if you think you can do it i, mean, I believe in you i support you let's, let's let's try it out so i started doing that in 2012 so we started all the paperwork went full-time, quit my job at UTSA, which in retrospect, maybe could be like, hey, you're, you're being a little <laughs> ambitious, but you know, it's how it works. And so that also gave me the drive to say like, hey, I don't have this check coming in. And I was working part-time anyway. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, you know, dropping bombs or whatever. So right, right. Like, so even to go at that basic college level job to, hey, we're going to go full-time freelance, start investing in, in computers, start investing in software, you're already in the negative. Like, right, yeah. Living at home, trying to like, oh, somebody will answer. I'm going to put a website out no, and, they'll see, yeah. and they'll see, <laughs> they see I exist. They're going to write. <laughs> in which we all know, like, it's not the case. No. And so, yeah, that was, I feel like that was a big pivot because of the economy and realizing like, hey, there are people out there that need this service. How can I start servicing them? And doing tons of free work, like, hey, let me just, I just need more footage to work on so that they can see that I can do stuff. Right. So that's definitely like the way I went about it. But at the same time, it's like, would you go about that the same way today? Maybe not so much, but definitely like that's the learning curves. That's the chops. So if I understood correctly, you didn't finish no, college. No, no, no. And how did, how did your parents feel about that? They, they were cool. Really? They were actually really cool. And the thing I, I can't, uh, everyone's like, man, where do you get your love of music? Or where do you get your love of film? It's like, my dad's all music and my mom's all film. Like my dad was playing the vinyl records. Hey, check this out. Yeah. You need to listen to this. And then my mom's all film. Come, come sit down and watch this with me and putting movies on. And I remember the first time sitting and watching um, Raiders of the Lost Ark with her. Oh, yeah. And just being like, what is this? And this is awesome. <laughs> and, but I've always been into film. And then I'm also a product because like DVDs came out with the special features. Right. So for me, that second disc was gold. It's like, how are they making Star Wars? How are they making Indiana Jones? How are they making The Matrix? And watching all the behind the scenes and realizing like, oh, there is a bigger world out there than my backyard. Right. But I think they were very much like, is this what you want to do? Go for it. And they've been nothing but supportive over the years. And so like, I'm very fortunate and blessed to say that I have parents that like that. Yeah. Because I know there's been plenty of other parents that are not being supportive of right. things. I can't thank them enough. All right. So you have drive. You kind of have that vibe about you. Does that come from your, do you, are your parents that way? Uh, I'd say probably my dad is. Yeah. And uh, he has his own business and he's always kind of had his own businesses over the years. Uh, but I've always been the shy kid. I've always been the kid, like, afraid to 
you know, go up to the front of the class yeah. and be like, oh, hey, today's report is, and I, and I hated that. Yeah. And I've had to overcome that. And um, some people can say like, hey, you're really good at talking to people. And I was like, yeah, I've worked at it. And it's yeah. like, how can I overcome it? And me and Tanner were talking like, you know, sales in the job has become like, you have to be the face. You have to be the person talking to the people. Before I'd be like, yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we could do that for, I mean, like 50 bucks. I mean, what do you think? Does that sound cool? <laughs> yeah. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That oh, sounds and, great. And, and you just <laughs> you just missed the whole opportunity. So it's definitely been something I've had to overcome, but it's just one of those things for sure. So you leave your your comfortable job at, at UTSA. Yeah. You talk to your girlfriend or fiance then and say, I'm starting White Rhino. You start investing. And I think every small business owner that first year hurts, right? Because that's when you spend everything. Probably the first two years probably hurt yeah. actually the most. Right. So how how were those first two years? It's like zero clients, you know, maybe like one or two that we were still working with. Again, corporate stuff was more like we were handling a lot of the in-house stuff for Texas A&M when they were at their old location and then they were building their new building. Mm -hmm. So we were doing like all the training videos that the students had to watch on Canvas. And you know, that's me with a handy cam going out and recording. Mm -hmm. You know, all right, we're gonna get 15 students to pretend that they're in the cafeteria and go. Right, that kind of stuff. And then it's like, okay, I wanna start pulling away from video and just jump into more post-production. And at the time I was like, okay, I'm not directing, which is what I love, but let me pull back and I can work with other directors. And the cool thing that I felt gave me the advantage is I could speak their language. I wasn't like a super tech nerdy kind of kid being like, oh yeah, if you click this mm -hmm. and you hit this keyframe, you could actually talk their language on, on why the VFX shot had to look great. But again, like I love VFX that helps tell the story and not that just necessarily wow factor. So those first two years, you were still kind of figuring out what White Rhino was, what, what you were doing, yeah, right? 100%. Uh, Learning as I went, actually. Yeah. And working by myself for, for several years. But those first couple of years was like trying to find, and I think uh, some older people might remember, like Creative Cow, right? Being on Creative Cow and trying to find tutorials because YouTube was still in the very infancy and nobody was doing like tutorials. So it was very much like... You had to read the tutorial and scroll through like 12 pages just to find the one little thing that you actually wanted to know that could apply. But I mean, I was on Creative Cow. I was on Craigslist. I was getting calls from like other like high schools. Like, oh, hey, you guys did really great here in this in this school. Is there a way you guys can help us with this? Or even like, hey, who are the people here in town that I should know? And kind of reaching out to them. And that's how I was able to get some of the first bigger projects was actually by a phone call that went, was like a wrong number. So like my dad was um, a delivery guy. He has his delivery company and he usually calls ahead before he makes a delivery, right? The truck backs up, doors open up. So he ends up calling and say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be pulling up. And they're like, oh, you have the wrong place. He was looking for a medical place. Turns out um, it was Ball House. And, and the receptionist was just kind enough to be like, oh yeah, well, we're a video production company. We do this kind of stuff. And my dad's like, oh, my son, like he's actually really interested in that. Oh, have him send us an email and I'll have him stop by. So he came home with the news and was like, hey, do you know who these guys are? And I like researched them. I was like, Ballhouse, oh yeah, they're legit. They're OG guys, right? And so, uh, you know, Few people were real just generous with their time. I just went in and just shook some hands and they just gave me a tour and just real, real um, generous. And uh, at the end of it, they're like, hey, you need to reach out to this filmmaker. He's working on a movie. 
and they need some After Effects guys. I was like, okay, cool. And so I reached out, and then that was Daniel Malinato. So that was his film, The Killing Fields. Mm -hmm. But that was my first, like, film. And then it was, like, at Palladium, got to go to the premiere. And I was like, oh, cool, look, my shot's up there. So it was like, that was a shift to start working a more independent film. Are you from San Antonio? Yeah, born here and raised. Born and raised. Born and raised San Antonio. Spent some time in North Carolina for about 10 years. Uh, The family moved out there. So very much a, a rural setting. And I think that was very formative years because like we had a farm out there so it was like three acres and like endless amounts of woods and forests to just explore in so for me it was a lot of reading and a lot of writing so i think like all that started really kind of because we didn't have any neighbors there was no kids around right it was just me and my brother and so we'd be playing army out in the woods or like when i finally did get my cameras like oh we're gonna make a war movie we're gonna be over here and then it would snow that sounds great so it's fun right <laughs> and then moving back to, to texas uh in 04 end of 04 beginning of 05 is like oh wow city life and i'm not really kind of used to that so very like getting reacclimated. right it, so. right and i mean people can say hey why are you still in san antonio yeah the thing that I love about Texas and the thing I love about San Antonio is is one, the space, and and my family's based here, my wife's family's based here. And so I think that there will always be an element that wants to remain here in town. I feel like San Antonio is like a, it's a big town with a small town feel. Hmm. Like I feel like if you really prod a couple of people, you turn out you know two or three of the same people. Oh yeah. And so San Antonio is again like, once you're in LA, once you're in New York, you realize like there's no space. And unless you really love the concrete jungle, right. like it's a different vibe. So for me, it feels great to like, man, we actually have a yard. You know, there's there's <laughs> space. You can breathe. You can breathe. And um, I don't know, Texas has always just been real, things happen here. And a lot of people don't know that things happen here. And for us, I feel like we're one of those hidden gyms that's like, you kind of have to prod and find out like, oh, they're actually based here in town. But I think San Antonio's just got one of those things. And again, it's like, it's a military city. It's super deep and rich in culture and history. And for me, like, I love it. Recently, you've been doing a lot of stuff for some big hip hop artists, right? And music videos and and things like that. Can you kind of walk me through how it jumped from, you know, doing advertising stuff, basic commercial, corporate stuff, uh, stuff for schools, and then bam. You got that call. Yeah. Uh, what was what was happening around that? So it, it took time. Everybody wants to be the overnight success. And I've always been the person like, I don't want to be the overnight success. I want to take the time and do it right. And I feel like if I did it by myself and if I got there overnight, then that'd be successful. But if I brought people with me and I built a team, then that would be significant. We were doing corporate work only for like the first year, maybe year and a half, maybe two years. And then I remember getting married and realizing like, can this business sustain myself and somebody else and that responsibility, right? right. And we're talking creatives here. And I can't tell you like sweating bullets oh, yeah. and trying to figure out like, is this right? And knowing that she was the right person, but just doubting myself. Right. And I felt like, can I do this? Will this happen? And can we make it happen? And I'm a man of faith, so it's like taking that step of faith, even in a a physical level or personal level, to say like, yes, let's do it. 
and uh, we started working more independent films. So we started working with filmmakers all over the United States and we're using Craigslist, we're using Google searches. We're just trying to find filmmakers, letting them know we do VFX and started working and stuff. And so we were doing all this stuff. And at the same time, like somebody might say like, oh, you guys are a success, but we kind of just hit the right time because that's when like Dropbox came out. And then that's when like WeTransfer came out because before like, how are you gonna get somebody's footage yeah. of these independent guys? And so we were trying to find alternative sources to just get the footage from the filmmaker so that we could actually work on it and send it back. And we were doing a lot of muzzle flashes and like action stuff. So like mm -hmm. explosions or extra blood or just stuff like that. Tons and tons of zombie movies. Yeah. And I think <laughs> over the last seven years, we worked on like 350 projects. So it's like we have a deep dive of like we've worked with some cool people and we worked with some people like had no idea what they were doing. Just got a camera, put it together and said, we'll fix it in post and yeah. and, and relied on <laughs> us to try and fix it. Right. And um, this past November, which was 2019, we're, we're just having that heart conversation that a lot of creatives have and really trying to figure out like what's next for us we're hitting the seven-year mark businesses that last eight to ten years will last as long as you want them to if mm -hmm. they can survive that incubation phase and then move to that next phase of eight years right and so once we pass that we're like okay we're, we're gonna make it we haven't given up we like what we do what can we do now and so we made the change and a lot of people were having these conversations uh, with us recommending us to go into more commercial work and music video work because I love film and that's just me loving film, but financially it wasn't always there. And so we made this, the, uh, the decision to just shift and say like, you know what, we're gonna reinvent ourselves and redo this. Mm -hmm. We have a huge body of work. We have all this experience, amazing talented people on the team. What can we redo? And so we started reaching out and connecting through Instagram with a lot of filmmakers, directors, colorists, editors that needed, hey, I got a shot that needs to be rotoscoped. I need something that, can we do something for this green screen stuff? And for me, I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. Like their actual names, you know, artists that people know and listen to on the radio, it's gonna get more likes or more views because even the most successful project that we ever worked on never got a million views or never right. got a hundred thousand views, right. much less, you know, a sold out theater. And I think all of us at some aspect want our work to be seen and want our work to be appreciated, right? And we've been fortunate enough to work with some really great people uh, and their clientele. So we kind of, for me, it was, hey, we don't have to go to the person. We can work with the people behind the scenes. Right. And they're the gatekeepers. Right. So that's how we've been able to kind of just break through within the last six or seven months and work on some great names and be in some great places and be really fortunate at that. You know, I'm not surprised, but I think you're still being really modest you know, your first big music video where you were like, this this is what people are gonna are gonna love and has definitely gotten a lot of notoriety. Which which one was that one? Well, probably the little Uzi video. It's interesting because like we've done a few music videos here and there and we started working with more people. And for me, I've always been the person of like treat people right because the project will come and go, right? Right. But the relationship, the people, that will remain. So even if the project is a dud, our friendship is still there. The client, you know, relationship is still there. And so getting referrals and getting recommendations, hey, you were recommended by this person. They said, we should contact you. They told us to reach out. So when that one came in, I was, hi, oh, you came referred to this and uh, we would like you to sign this NDA. And if you're interested, and it's like, okay, let's see what's going on, send it out. And you have to understand with music videos, it's like, it's kind of the one industry that 
your success can happen overnight. Yeah. And obviously you can disappear just as fast. But if you're a no-name somebody on Monday and release a super awesome video by Friday, by by Tuesday, you're, you know, on top of the map. So it blew up. Yeah. Yeah, it blows up. So it's always like, hey, this person's an up-and-coming artist. Take a look at it. Can you guys do something for the video? Yeah, okay, cool. And I had no idea. Like, I'm not necessarily 100% in the R&B or rap scene. I've always been more like rock and indie music and stuff yeah. like that. And so um, one of the guys was like, hey, I think that's a little Uzi. I was like, oh, who's that? And we're looking at the treatment and then pulled, you know, Googled it and stuff. So it was, it was really cool. But the opportunity just to work with those guys and just be at that level is is obviously like super humbling. But at the same time, it's like you want to bring your, your A game to right. it. And, you know, being there rolling loud, thousands of people on stage. And, you know, they, they had us go in to supervise the shoot and supervise the VFX aspect of the, of the video. And just to be there and just to see like the quality that goes into things and the work that goes into it, even from the production standpoint. And, and I love production, so mm -hmm. to see people showing up, trucks rolling in, lighting crews. It's exciting. It's, it's exciting, right? Compared to, oh, we're just in an office with computers all yeah. day or whatever. The coolest thing about the day is the is what coffee somebody brought or <laughs> what somebody's <laughs> yeah. playing on their playlist. But, you know, those are some of the cool things. And, and just being around the directors that have worked on the OG stuff and then all the new up and coming kids that are working on today's latest and greatest. And I got to credit or, or give some shout out to a friend of ours, Tony Gallardo. He's been a person in my life that he runs a small shop. He runs a small studio. And, and just I feel like if you want to grow as a person, you want to grow as an entrepreneur, you need to have people you can rub shoulders with mm -hmm. that can talk your same language yep. and they can and that you can say like, look, this, this is where I'm having a bottleneck. This is where I'm having a hiccup. What is your advice? And I'm 100% I'm secure enough to say like, I don't know everything. Tell me something I don't know. Share with me something I don't know. Push me in the water. Take me deeper. Because yeah. I can have fun all day here in the shallow water and just be cool and never break that ceiling. But I want to know like, if you want to go deeper, that's where the big fish are. So, okay, Daniel, like, you know, I think for me, like as a creative, you know, the, the biggest thing has been this like self-reliance, you know, like, um, cause you do have, you have that home life and you have the professional life and they have to cross at certain, you know, intervals, Absolutely, like you get yeah. married, they have to cross. Uh, it's been a lean year, 2019, man, what the hell happened? And now we get hit with this, but it's like, I've seen a lot of like, at least for my, for my own business and um, my relationship with my wife that like, you know, that old like trope of, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And, you know, in, in so many ways, I think right now, you know, I mean, the, the going is tough. So Absolutely. how are you, how are you dealing with the COVID-19 crisis and quarantine? And that's, that's a great question because everyone's asking it again. Now I've become more social. And that's me pushing myself too. Yeah. But I've been on a lot of just FaceTimes on Instagram, yeah. just talking with people all over. Yeah. And I've been reaching out to the, all the people that I've met and networked with in Miami and Atlanta and Mexico City and all over the place yeah. and, and just talking to them. Because I think a lot of times, again, it goes back to that relationship. And just, again, I, I'm always looking for that, you know, iron sharpens iron. I'm always looking for mm. those guys that Hey, what are you working on? And, and in some cases, yeah. like I can pour into them. And in some cases they pour back into me and we encourage one another. And so COVID happened, all the production stopped out of LA. So it came back home. Oh, cool. We finished a project. Hey, San Antonio's going on lockdown. I was like, great. 
And I think a lot of this goes back to the the entrepreneur, the leader, the owner is it's just the resilience inside saying like, this is just a hiccup. We're going to move forward. Yeah. And once you kind of put that in your mind where you're at mentally, that's where you're going to lead. And that's you, the biggest thing for any leadership is you have to lead yourself. You can be a manager and say, hey, go do that. But if you don't do it yourself, that doesn't make you a leader worth following. And I've always wanted to be more in that leadership versus management style. Um, so what are we doing right now? Uh, we're getting up every day, going to work. We're making stuff happen. And we're still getting calls. We're still getting emails every day because they can't shoot. But now we're reinventing ourselves again for this season. And I think a lot of people set themselves um, in stone and say, like, I am a graphic designer. I am just going to graphic design and I'm going to stay my life doing graphic design. That's great. But if you really want to survive and make this a career, you have to know how to reinvent yourself and you know how to you need to know how to navigate the waters. This is the greatest time to be around right now because I feel like it's the creatives that are going to solve the problems, right? Because everyone is wondering, what do we do? And again, like I work in visual effects, directing, editorial, branding, whatever the case, but I feel like at the end of the day, I'm a problem solver and that's a designer. And I can mm -hmm. come up with any solution in any field, just set me in front of it and I will give you a creative solution yeah. to that problem. And I think like corporate businesses, businesses are a whole, they know their business, they know their coffee, they know their food, they know whatever but they don't know how to get that to their clientele. That's not their expertise. And it's up to us as the creatives, as the designers, as the problem solvers, hey, I can solve that problem in a creative form. Graphic design, logos, branding, photography, website, whatever the case. And I feel like we're gonna have the answers to that. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are just kind of starting out? Use what you have in front of you. The way I, I've come up and the way that I've done it, and this is my own journey, my own experience, and everyone has to do it their own way, their own flavor, however it works for them. But I've always been like, hey, what can I get right now that's close by that I can use to make that? What's around me? What can I use? How can I use that to my advantage? What are, what are we looking forward to? What's, what's next in, in, uh, in the books? Yeah, so... Um, there's opportunity everywhere. So what we're trying to do right now is just expand our reach and grow our family and grow our extensions and run a lean ship, a tight ship, but do things smart and seek a lot of counsel and talk to a lot of people and learn the markets and learn the cities and learn what people are doing in those cities and how we can benefit them. And, um, you know, investing in our people, investing in our team, bringing people on contract, short-term freelance, seeing what they're about, getting us to where we want to be. And again, just encouraging people and helping our clients be the best that they can be. HOSA is produced by Soundcrane Studio and Due South Creative. <laughs>